joy to be uh, back with you this morning. Please turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to be looking at Joshua uh, chapter 3 and, and 4 this morning. Remember, we're here in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, we see this, this main theme that, that God keeps all of his kingdom promises. God keeps all his kingdom promises. And here in the, the first five chapters of the book of Joshua, we're talking about courage and kingdom promises. Remember that word courage means to be devoted to, uh, to continue in, to be steadfast in obedience to God. And so we're talking about courage in, the, in light of God's kingdom promises. And this morning we're going to be looking at Joshua 3 and 4 and thinking about how as we meditate on God's faithfulness and his promises, we can be courageous. So uh, we're going to look at these two chapters. I'm going to read portions of each of those. And so if you're able to, if you would just stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together and feel free to sit down at any time if if you need to. And we're going to begin here in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length, or about a little over half a mile. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as, as I was with, that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant, when you, bring, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man, and when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Go down to chapter 4. Verse 1, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firm, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. 
Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe. And Joshua, Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. The people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes, the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Go down into verse 19, chapter 4. Then the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever." You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us through the power of his word this morning as the spirit works within our hearts. And that is our request, what we beseech you, Father, for this morning, that you as our good Father would withhold none of your good words from us. That we would understand these words and that we would, by your grace, believe them and live by them through your empowering work, through your spirit. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We had a campfire, bonfire last night, and I sometimes have trouble getting a a bonfire going. Maybe you've you've had this this problem as well. I I start with some newspaper, some old newspaper, and kind of twist it up and set it down there, and then then some, some twigs or some tiny things on top of that, and and a couple other things, maybe a little bit bigger on, t- on top of that. And then you put the, 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 the wood you really want to catch on fire, kind of surrounding the, the little kindling that you have going there. And, and those, those, those first few minutes of getting a fire going are, are kind of touch and go, at least, at least for me. In fact, I don't even touch. Last night, um, it was like, it took me like, I don't want the Eagle Scouts in here are going to be a little dis- discouraged by me, but it took me like 30, 45 minutes to get this thing really going. And you know that the, the kindling just doesn't catch sometimes. Or the wood, you know, last night the wood was, was kind of wet, and so I'd, I'd split it to try to get some dry parts of the wood facing the fire. It just didn't quite get off. And there'd be every, every now and then the, the wind would catch it just right and would kind of dampen things a little bit, or just things weren't, weren't catching. But finally, 30, 45 minutes it's going, all right? Now, 
it doesn't take long for me to put out a bonfire. Every time, or not every time, but a lot of times, uh, whenever I have a bonfire going, uh, Josh Durham uh, will, will come by and, um, you know, good, good friend, good fireman, he'll send me a text. Hey, you have, a, you have a hose over there, right? Yeah, absolutely, Josh. Grab the hose, Whitney, and we'll get it out there. And, but last night uh, did not take long to put, it took me 45 minutes or so to get the bonfire going. Uh, took the hose, sprayed it for, for two seconds. Just kidding, Josh. Uh, hosed it down really well. A couple minutes, it's out, right? Fast. Doesn't take a lot. Doesn't take a lot. To, to dampen a fire, to, to extinguish it. Now, imagine that, that fire, a bonfire, represents our, our worship of God. It doesn't happen automatically, worship of God. A fire doesn't, doesn't flame instantaneously. You've got, to, you've got to nurture that. And so a person, if they're going to worship God rightly, has to, has to think about the right things about God. They need to come to his word, and by the enabling work of the Spirit, they're able to, to contemplate the beauty of God and see the things of God. And then God in his grace, through the work of the Spirit, fuels that, that fire as we contemplate his beauty, and we see his majesty, we respond in, in worship. And it also doesn't take a lot to extinguish the flames of worship in our heart at times, does it? Grumbling, complaining, turning our eyes off of God onto ourselves. Those, those flames of, of worship can be extinguished very, very quickly and sometimes very easily. In fact, I want to remind you of kind of a, a chart that we looked at some years ago when we were in the book of Exodus. Remember this? We, said, we were talking about worship and complaining. We said worship begins this way. We look at God, we look to God, and then what happens next? After we look to God, we find joy. We, we look to God and we find that he is, he is our sustainer of all things, that he's beautiful, that in him are, is fullness of delight. And so we look at God and as we rightly contemplate his character as revealed in his word, we, we find joy there. And as we, as we see that, as we contemplate that, as we find joy, what's, what's the end result? Well, it's worship. Do you remember this? You, you look to God, you, you see that he is beautiful, that he is all that we could ever hope for. We find joy in him, and the response is worship. Now, what's the alternative of that? Remember this? Uh, this was, I think, my best graphic ever. I don't know if you can see it. It's a little frog looking at himself in the mirror. Uh, I don't do a lot of graphics if that's my best one ever, right? Instead of looking to God, we look at ourselves. And... If we, if we look to God, we find joy, but if we look to ourselves, what do we find? We find lack. If, if the universe is designed around ourselves, there have been some, some serious mistakes made, right? So we, we say, okay, if, if I'm the center of my reference, if I'm the center of my, my universe, uh, this universe hasn't been designed in a way that, that I would design it if everything was going the way that I want it to go. So I, you know, the weather isn't always what I would like it to be. The, the people don't treat me the way that they should treat a person who's at the center of the universe. Uh, this, this, things aren't quite going the way. You know, timing doesn't work out the way that I would want it to work out if I was just deciding what I wanted to happen. So I, instead of looking to God as my, my central reference point, I look to myself and I don't find myself beautiful. I don't find myself able to 
um, able to work all the things out the way that I desire them to do, and I find lack, and what is the result of that? Well, there is, there's complaining, there's grumbling, there's lack of contentment. This isn't what we desire to do. This isn't where joy is found. So what do we want? Let's look, remember this, what, what the right understanding is. We want to be able to look to God. We want to be able to find joy. And we want to be able to respond in worship. Now the passage that we're looking at this morning here in Joshua chapter 3 and in Joshua chapter 4, I believe is helping us think about how we can keep our minds focused on God and his wondrous works. That's, that's the problem that we have, and that's the concern of this passage. It wants to protect the people of God against a self-focus that will snuff out the flames of worship and replace worship of God with, with discontentment and with dis- discouragement, with selfishness. Instead, here's what we're going to see in the, the, this passage. Here's the main idea that I want us to walk through together. Meditating... On God's wondrous works deepens my love and worship of him. Meditating, thinking about God's wondrous works deepens my love and worship of him. By the way, how many of you in here, how many, how many kids do we have? How many of you are under the age of 12? How many of you are under 12? Okay, all right, thanks guys. You guys have a tough job. I recognize this. I was talking with, with uh, Mr. Phil this past week. I was like, you know, how can we, he was, he was having some ideas of how we can help those of you who are under 12 um, with listening to sermons. It's a hard deal. It's, it's, hard, it's hard for your parents. I see them not paying attention sometimes. So I know it's really hard for you guys too. So here's, here's an idea. We're going to talk about this in the coming weeks too, but here's a, here's a game you can play. Okay? Here's a game you can play today. You can play this game every week, Okay. Oftentimes, when I begin the sermon, I, I have a statement like this on here, right? Here's, here's the game you can play. You can say, okay, can I figure out how does this sentence that Daniel has up here relate to the story? So there's going to be a story we look at in Josh where there's going to be a passage that we look at. Can I see how did Daniel, how did Pastor Daniel, whatever your parents tell you to call me, how did he come up with this sentence? This is, here's, the, here's the Bible verses that we're looking at. And here's the sentence. How do these things? How do these things relate together? And see, see if I did it or not. Okay, you can see. Did Daniel? Did Daniel get this right, or is this a little off? Can you see if you can understand? And then, and then, and then test your parents, and ask your parents. What? How did? How did the passage that we read go with those those points that were up on the screen? You can write it down, and you can also, and then you can see what your parents say, and then you can say, mm, I don't think that's quite it, but you're getting close, mom. Getting close, dad. Here's the main thing, though, today, kids and all of us. We want to meditate. That means to think deeply about God's wondrous works, amazing things he's, that he's done in our life. And as we do that, it's going to need to deepen our love and our worship of him. As I think about who God is and what he's done, I'm going to need to love him more and worship him more. And we're going to see in chapter 3 the wonderful things that God does. And then in chapter 4, we're going to see how we meditate on that. So here's chapter 3, witnessing God's wonders, okay? And so look at the text with me, if you would. And we're not going to go through every uh, verse. I encourage you to read through these, these chapters in the, weeks, uh, in, the, in the week before Sunday. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 5. But here in chapter 3, what do we see? That the people finally leave Shittim. They've, they've been there for about a year, and some, some things have not gone well there, right? So, in fact, if 
you want to, you can turn back to Numbers chapter 25. The people of Israel arrived there on the plains of Moab, there in this area, a year ago in Numbers chapter 22. In Numbers chapter 20, remember in Numbers 22, Balaam is trying to, to curse the people of Israel. You come to chapter 25, and he's unable to curse the people of Israel, but he's able to lead them into idolatry. It says, when the Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to sacrifice to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel yoked himself to the Baal of Peor. Okay, so here they are. They're encamped on the east side of the Jordan River, and they begin to engage in idolatry. And, and there's, there's judgment for that. Now it's been about a year, and the people are prepared to pass over from the east side of the Jordan River, where they have been encamped, to the west side where God is calling them to live and dwell with him. You look at verses 2 through 6 here of Joshua chapter 3, and we see the people being told to prepare. They're, they're coming to the Jordan. They're going to be there three days. They're going to arrive. They're going to stay there a day. On the third day, they're going to leave. And, and the people are told, look, the Ark of the Covenant is going to go before you. And the Ark of the Covenant is what represents God and his presence and his, his covenant promises to the people. He says, this, this ark is going to go ahead of you. In fact, you're to stay like half a mile behind the ark of the covenant. And it's, it's God, and we're going to, to see God and the presence of God manifested in a physical way. We're going to see God deliver us. We're going to see God lead us from this place where we have sinned and broken his covenant instructions to us. We're going to see him save us. We're going to see him deliver us. We're going to see him lead us over. Joshua is told by God, hey, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to do something incredible. In verses 10 through 13, Joshua tells the people, look, you're going to know that the living God is among you. In fact, look, look at the, the text and notice how many times the word know comes up. Verse 5 says that the... Um, Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In verse 7, the Lord says to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then you come down to verse 10. Joshua says to the people, here's how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, and, and so forth. God is about to do something, Joshua is saying, God is saying through Joshua, that will allow them to understand his saving power. He's going to bring them from this place where they have failed to be in obedience to him to this place where he's going to live with them in, in a covenant relationship. And he's going to bring them to this place where he's going to live in covenant relationship with them in a powerful way. He's going to part the Jordan River, allowing the people to see his power and allow them to connect it to his saving power and bringing them out of the land of Egypt. The event of, of, of salvific work of the Lord in the Old Testament. He said, okay, what I'm about to do here is a sign that shows you that I'm the same God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the God who saves. I'm the God who brings you from the east where your sin is to the west where you can live in covenant faithfulness 
with me. I'm showing you my saving power. I'm bringing you from the east to the west. Now, then you come to verses 14 through 17, and, and it happens. God, God works this miracle. There's, it's, it's awesome. The, the waters are stopped at a point that's about 15 miles away to the north. It's an incredible thing that God does, and all the people witness it. Now, before we go on to chapter 4, as we think about witnessing God's wonders, two, two questions for us to think about, right? One question, does God still do wonders? Okay. It, it rained a lot this last week. You know, sometimes you're maybe kind of coming to a, a place where there's a lot of water. Some of you, I saw some of your, your pictures on Facebook or Instagram or whatever of, of big puddles of water in your backyard. Right? Did anyone see God say, you know, let me just part these waters. Or, I'm awesome. Did anyone see that this week? No. Does God still do wonders? The first question. And then the second question is, if, if he does, so the answer to the first one is going to be yes, why? So first of all, does God still do wonders? Of, of course he does. God is the, the same God. Psalm 136 says, To him alone who does great wonders for his steadfast love endures forever. In other words, it is an essential part of God's character that he does wondrous things. Job and his friend Eliphaz both talk about this. They declare that God does great things and things that are unsearchable, marvelous things without number. That's essential to who God is. God is the God who does marvelous things beyond our ability to number. Micah 7.15, we, we think about the, the future that God and the nation, when God will show the nations his wonders, just like he did in Exodus. He says, I'm going to do what I did as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I'm going to show them marvelous things that are going to worship. We come to the New Testament, we see that God is still doing miraculous, wondrous things in our lives. Titus chapter 1, Paul talks about how uh, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. This is why he's writing this letter to Titus. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. So this is a, a salvation that God has promised in times past. And then in, in Titus 3, we, we see how God brings about this salvific work. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures. We were passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's, that's who the people that Paul is writing to. Or that's who Titus and, and Paul, the, the people that they're talking about, what, what, what typified their life. Foolishness, disobedience. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. And then, and then what happened? God did something. What? Wondrous. Miraculous. Incredible. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is that? that is a, that's a wondrous thing. God takes us from being disobedient to parents and, and being uh, disrespectful to our, our parents and being angry people and being hateful toward one another. He takes us from, from that enslavement to sin and by the miraculous work of his son, Jesus Christ, he declares us righteous through our faith in Christ. That is a wondrous thing and he transforms us. Now the question, the second question then, is is why does he do that? Why would God do that? Well, the same reason that he does it here in the book of Joshua. Again, look at verse 10 of of chapter 3. Joshua says, this is what God is doing so that you may know that the living God is among you. Later, at the end of chapter 4, he's going to say, this is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. God saves us. He sustains us. And he works his wondrous power in our lives so that we will worship him. There's that that phrase that we use that I think is a very good phrase, that God does all things, what? For our good and his glory. Right, yeah. You could also say the same thing a similar way. All the things that God does for our good are his glory. In other words, all the things that God, it's not like God says, okay, I'm going to do this and it's going to be for these two things. These two things are, are intricately connected. What is for our good brings about his glory. These are not two separate things that God is working, but all these things work together. It's, as God does good things to us, it's, it's bringing more and more glory to him. A couple, couple verses, John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this is John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it. That, now, that's, a, that's an amazing promise that, that Jesus makes. But why? So that my Father may be glorified in the Son. 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, he's talking about the, the gifts that we have. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength of that God supplies. So in other words, as you and I do ministry for, for, the, for uh, the Lord, God gives us that strength. Now as we do the things that God has called us to do, what happens? Peter goes on, he says, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So it's a wondrous thing that you and I have the ability to walk in obedience to God. It's, 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 a, it's an ability that we have only as God enables us to be obedient. And why does God do that? So that he can be glorified. That as people see us walking in joy and obedience to God, they say that God is an amazing God. Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, this is my prayer. You want to pray a biblical prayer? Here's a biblical prayer to pray for people. He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with 
knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. How can we have fruit in our life that reflects the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ? Only by God's grace. He says, so that, or says, to the, to the glory and praise of God. That's a miracle. The fact that you and I have the ability to display the righteousness of God in our lives is a miracle. God still does wondrous things. But there's a problem. You and I are forgetful people. God does wondrous things in our life. He saves us. He delivers us from sin. He delivers us from the power of sin. God does these amazing, miraculous things in your life and and in my life. And the problem is that you and I forget about it. We're not mindful of it. You say, well, how do I know that I'm forgetful of these things? I, I kind of am aware of them. Look, as you and I, for children, we're the, the under 12 crowd this morning, whenever our, our parents disappoint us, well, that's, that's much older than just 12, I suppose, but when our, when our parents disappoint us and we're angry about that, we're angry at them, what's happening there? We're, we're being forgetful as we meditate on those things, the things we're angry about, we're, we're being forgetful of the things that God has done. We're parents and we're, we're disappointed in our children. We're, we're frustrated and that frustration is manifesting in how we're talking and how we're thinking. What's happening there? We're forgetful. We've turned our eyes off of God onto self. It's very clear that we're not mindful of the wondrous things that God has done in our lives. My friends have, have hurt me. I'm, I'm bitter and that bitterness is something that I'm focusing on. I'm, I'm upset at how they've, they've talked about me behind my back. I'm upset about how my coworkers are responding to me. I'm upset about this promotion I didn't receive that I, that I felt like I deserved. I'm, I'm upset about those things. What's happening? As I meditate on those things and that meditation manifests itself in my conduct in life, I am demonstrating that I am forgetful. I am not mindful of the wondrous things that God has done in my life. Which brings us to chapter four. Let's talk about meditating on God's wonders here in chapter 4. Now, what, what happens? When God does something, it, it's important for us to remember. It's important for us to create means of, of meditating and reflecting on his work. So look at, look at chapter 4, and just want you to notice a couple things that happen here. First of all, as we come to verses 1 through 5, we see why Joshua told Joshua had been told to gather these 12 men. These 12 men have been selected in chapter 3. And now they're told, look, whenever you, you come to this, this place in the Jordan River where the priests are, remember the priests are holding the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents God's presence, God's saving work. This is, this is clear that it's God who's parting the Jordan River here. And when you come to the place where the Ark is, where, where God's presence has been physically manifested for you to, to think about and to, to be able to understand it. I want you from that point to take up 
12 stones. And in verse 9, I, th- I think what happens there is it, it's Joshua that's placed the, the 12 stones there. And so the people are to come along, the, one representative from each tribe, and to take these big rocks from the middle of the river where they would not have been able to access them if God had not acted. He says, I want you to take those and I want you to, to take them to the place that you're going to lodge. You're going to take them from where the waters were, that it's now dry, to the place that you lodge for the first time in this land that I've promised you. The rocks, like the people, are, are crossing over. They're, they're being delivered. It represents the place where God was, the place that he is, and God's saving work. Then you come to verses 6 through 8, and we see that there's a teaching purpose. The, the purpose is that the coming generation, the children, are going to have a means of, of grasping the, what God has done, how he saved. And then in verses 9 through 19, there's more of a, a retelling of the story that who's coming over with Joshua. Uh, verse 14 is kind of a framing of the story. It says the the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. That's what he promised to do in chapter 3. They stood in awe of him just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And then we come to verses 20 through 24. These, these stones are placed at Gilgal. They've, they're placed at the place where the people lodge. And... The purpose is expanded on a little bit, isn't it, right? It's going to tell your children, and we're going to come to the book of Judges, we're going to see how important it is for children to know the things that God has done in mom and dad's life. And it's going to teach the children, but there's also a, a wider audience that's going to, to hear about this. It's, it's really all the peoples of the earth knowing that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. What God is telling Joshua is, look, I want there to be this, this physical thing that will cause you to think about what I've done. In other words, I don't want to, to do this mighty saving work and then cause you to not think about it anymore. I want there to be this, this physical thing that will cause you to look at it and say, okay, this, this reminds me of what God has done. And, and not just like, okay, I, I think about it, it's like a monument or a statue, and so I, I kind of think about it, isn't that a, a cool thing that happened in our history? But I want there to be this 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 physical thing that will cause you to look at it, that will cause you to meditate on who I am and the saving work that I have done. Now, is that important? And this is what I want to spend the rest of our time talking about with you this morning. Is it important that you and I also meditate on God's wonders? And the answer, of course, is yes. So let me give you some principles that I think will help you and I as we try to meditate faithfully on God's wonders. So all of us, every person who is alive this morning, who is in this room, God has done amazing, miraculous things in your life, allowing you to live in a universe, a universe that is held together by the power of the Son of God. It's amazing that you're here. God has done wondrous things. What are some principles that help us meditate on God's wondrous works. And if you're saved, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the wondrous works are even greater, right? Here's, here's the first principle. Here's the first principle for meditating on God's wonders. First of all, I ground my meditation firmly in God's special revelation, right? So I, I begin by 
by grounding my meditation firmly in, in God's special revelation. And, and special revelation, of course, is, is Scripture. Sometimes when people think about God's wondrous works, they, they, they start traveling some strange pathways. They say, okay, this, this thing happened to me, and I believe that this thing that happened to me is a, a miracle that God did, and based upon this miracle, I'm now going to do these, these things in my life. So, for example, uh, imagine a person had this conversation with me, and this isn't an exact conversation I've had, but it's, it's honestly not very far off from some conversations I've had with people before. A person comes to me and says, uh, uh, Daniel, this, this God did this miracle in my life yesterday. I said, well, 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 that sounds amazing. Tell me about it. I got a phone call. Okay, doesn't sound so miraculous yet. Yeah, yeah, but it was from a 309 area code, okay? And, and 309 begins with what? The number three. And when I got the phone call, I realized, I looked at my, the time, it was 3.33 when I got this area code, 3.09. And right after I got the phone call, I, I opened Instagram, and the third post on an Instagram story was from this girl that I've been thinking about, that I think God has placed on my mind. And God, in his miraculous work, is telling me I need to pursue a relationship with her. I, I don't know, you know. I'm, I'm not as convinced of that as you are, okay? But let's start with, let's start with God's special revelation. Here's what God has, has told us about who he is and about who we are and about the things that he's going to do in our life. And, and you know, I don't come to God's special revelation and I don't see anything about, um, you know, what God is going to really speak through Instagram to you. I, I, I just don't see that as a means through which he, he works, in terms of me knowing specific things that he wants me to do in my life. He said, well, doesn't, doesn't God do miraculous things in my individual life that haven't specifically been mentioned in Scripture? And the answer, of course, is yes. Okay, but first I, need to, first I need to ground my meditation firmly in God's special revelation. And then, secondly, here's a second principle. Secondly, I need to see God's wondrous providential hand in all areas of my life. Okay, if, I, if I'm going to worship rightly, if I'm going to respond and, and meditate on God's faithfulness rightly, I need to see God's wondrous providential hand where? In, in all areas of my life. In other words, it's not, you know, there's this, this uh, you know, person I want to have a relationship with, and so all the things that I see God doing are going to be kind of related to that. No, I'm going to see God's wondrous providential hand in all areas of my life. He said, what does that word providential mean? The word providential means that God is continually involved in, in all the things that he's created. And in fact, the Puritans, the Puritans had some incredible uh, meditations on God's providence how, and how it worked. Friday afternoon, uh, I started reading a chapter of a book. The book's called A Puritan Theology, A Doctrine for Life by Joel Beakey and Mark Jones. And, and I started reading a chapter entitled The Puritans on Providence. And I thought, oh boy, I wish I had started reading this a couple weeks ago. I could have just photocopied this thing and uh, been done with the sermon. No. Um, but here, here's a couple things from, from that book. Um, first of all, they, they quote the Heidelberg Catechism. It was written in 1563. And listen to question 27 in this catechism. Question 27 says, what do you understand by the providence of God? In other words, what, what, is, what does providence of God mean? And the catechism says, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power. 
whereby as with his hand he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. The next question says, well, what does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? The answer is this. We can be patient in adversity. We can be patient in adversity. Thankful, thankful in prosperity. And with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Quoting a couple other writers here from that that era, from the 1600s, one Puritan wrote this, No good man ever lacked anything that was good for him. Let Let me listen very carefully to this. No good man ever lacked anything that was good for him. I may lack a thing which is good, but not which is good for me. Then he quotes Psalm 8411, For the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. During an outbreak, during an outbreak of plague in the 1600s, another writer wrote this, What believer would not die of the plague if his wise father sees it to be the best for him to die of that disease? When the wicked die, they go to hell, but the righteous are released from this earthly prison to go to heaven. Meditating on God's wondrous works means that I see God's wondrous providential hand in all areas of my life. All things are for his good and and my glory. All things that are for my good bring about his glory. I believe that I have a loving heavenly father who is putting me in the circumstances by his providential hand that are the best for me to help me know and love him more deeply. That brings us to a third principle then. A third principle. I need to find ways to consciously consider God's wonders in the regular pattern of my life, right? I need to to find some ways to to consciously consider God's wonders in the regular pattern of my life. I need to to be able to, as I go through my day, I need to to work into that that daily life pattern, ways to behold and consciously consider how has God done wondrous things in my life. As I'm I'm in this this circumstance at, at work and it is just weighing upon me, as I have this project at school that is just I don't think I'm ever going to get it done. I need to meditate. Okay, why is God doing this? And I know that God is my loving Heavenly Father. I know that he has placed me here. What is the wondrous thing that he's trying to do in my life through this circumstance? I, I, and, and so I, I work things into my life. So for example, I commit to meditating on Scripture, memorizing God's Word on a, on a daily basis. I say, okay, I'm going I'm to take some verses. I'm going to memorize these things so it'll help me understand rightly who God is and what his desire is for me. 
I'm going, to, I'm going to journal. Maybe that's what some people find helpful. I'm going, to, I'm going to journal. I'm going to write down the things that God does. And on a month-by-month basis, I'm going to be able to look back and see the things that God and his faithfulness has done. I'm going to, to pray, and I'm going to pray biblically and, and think through the things that God is doing in that way. Maybe I'm going to place, uh, you have to be careful with some of these ideas, but you know, I, I place, I'm going to place like pictures of, of people that God has brought into my life. I have pictures of my family. As I see that, I, what happens, I, I'm thankful to God. I have several things in my office that, that cause me to think about the good things that God has done in my life. A basket from a mission trip, a, a gift that someone has, has given me. Uh, all these things just kind of re- remind me of God's, God's kindness and his faithfulness to me. One John Newton wrote this. He said, If the least of God's saints who had walked with God for only a few years could write down all of God's dealings with him, it would make a volume full of temptation, signs, a wonderful history, because a history of such experiences, each one whereof is more than a wonder. In other words, if we could just sit down and, and, and write down the things, all that God has done with us, it would be this, this amazingly full volume of things that God has done. Another person wrote this, let not your thoughts, as you think about God's providence, let not your thoughts swim like feathers upon the surface of the water, but rather let them sink like lead to the bottom. Think deeply and fully about what has God done in my life? How has he been faithful to me? Let me meditate on these things. And as I spend time daily in his word and daily in prayer, let me, let me thank God for his wondrous works in my life. Number four, fourth principle then, which we've already touched on a little bit, I I combine my meditations with prayer. I need to be on a a daily basis coming to God and saying, okay God, I I understand your love for me as my father and and let me me rightly give thanks to you. Psalm 9-1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I'm going to to sit down in my time with the Lord and I'm going to say, God, thank you for this. I'm going to say, thank you for that. It's not just going to be the, the good things. It's not just going to be the the, the, the happy times. And Lord, thank you for how you are teaching me to rely upon you and not circumstances as I go through this health issue. Thank you for how you have shown me my weakness as I've been unable to, to deal with my children the way that I want to. Father, thank you for teaching me patience as I deal with my, my parents. Whatever God has brought into our life, we, we thank him for that. Psalm 30, verse 11, you have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may May sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Number five, fifth principle to help us here. I express my meditations outwardly through declarations of praise. So look at Joshua chapter 4, you notice there are several groups who, who benefit by this meditation, by, by thinking about the things that God has done. First of all, there's just the people themselves as they meditate on God's, God's faithfulness. There's this benefit to themselves. We also see that there's a, a benefit to their children, 
the, the, the people that are part of their community of faith, the next generation, Psalm 35, 28, my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. In Psalm 89, he begins by declaring, the psalmist begins by declaring that he's going to exalt God's name to all generation. And he says, I'm going to talk about those who are blessed, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. Who exult in your name all the day and in your righteousness are exalted. Now, how does expressing your meditations of God's wondrous works outwardly through declarations of praise, how does that affect your children? How does it affect the, the children in our church that God is, has placed here? What more powerful of a testimony can the children of our church see than parents, than Sunday school teachers and small group leaders? How, how much more of a powerful testimony can they see than those of us who are constantly overwhelmed, not by wrongs that have been committed against us, not by the bad things that are happening to us, but instead by people who are just bowled over by the unbelievable faithfulness of our God. Brothers and sisters, let, us, let, let the children of our church see people who are not bitter by the circumstances of life, who are not complaining about, sounds like a little rain going on out there. Let not see, see people who are complaining about the weather, who are upset about wrongs done against them. Let them not see people who are who are, who are just hardened by life circumstances, who are discouraged, but instead let, them, let the children of our church see people who are in constant awe and, and just overwhelmed by God's faithfulness in our lives. Yes, of course, there are terrible things that happen and the consequences of sin are manifested in people's lives and we mourn over that, but let our children see even in the midst of all the terrible things that God in his providential hand uh, a points for us to go through, let them see people who are grounded in worship of God as they are overwhelmed by his faithfulness. And finally, we see here that the declarations of praise are not just beneficial to ourselves, not just to our community of faith, especially our children, but also to the world, the peoples of the earth. He, he ends again with this, this verse, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord forever. How do your friends see you? How do your coworkers see you? Do they see you as a complainer, as a whiner, as a person who's always looking on the, the dark side of things? If so, how can they take you seriously when you say, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, the, the sovereign God of the universe has, has saved me and brought me into a relationship with him, but man, aren't the printers slow today? You know, If we're a person who's constantly complaining, who's a, per, a person who's not overwhelmed by the greatness of our God, God, how can people take us seriously? He, he, remember in chapter 3, he says, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. He, he, in other words, he wants you to understand that it's, it's, it's God of the entire universe that's, that's now saving us. And brothers and sisters, what is true of you and me? We have been saved by the, the God of the universe. We are now in relationship with the God of all things. And so, brothers and sisters, let's not quench Worship. If my worship is like the flames and a, the, the fire of a campfire, let's make that fire one that, that is tremendous. 
Not that it engulfs the homes of my neighborhood in, in flames, but, but that all the, the neighborhood can come and, and see the, the warmth of worship of God. For that to happen, we can't quench the flames with grumbling, with discontentment. We must continually keep the flames going as we look to the source, to Jesus Christ and the great salvation that is found in him. Meditating on God's wondrous works deepens my love and my worship of him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how we have the ability to come into relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And Father, today we recognize that if we were, begin, we were going to begin to, to enumerate all the miraculous, wondrous things you've done in our life, we would never be able to cease. And so we worship you. We thank you. We praise you. And may that love we have for you be a powerful declaration for the hope that we have in your son Jesus to our children, to our friends, to those that we desire to come into relationship with you. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen.